Hello, welcome to Emmanuel. We're in a series called Hearing God, and uh, this is actually the fourth week of that series, and we're talking today about hearing God in the church. And in many ways, the weeks uh, that we've already experienced have been building up to this. They've been leading us along the way. We've looked already at hearing God in his word in the first week, the foundation of how we hear a God who has communicated with humanity in his Bible. And uh, we moved on to look at hearing God for yourself and practices that you can engage in to, to really start digging into the Word of God and being shaped in your mind and thinking. And it's natural that if that's happening to you, it's only going to spill out into your immediate context. So we talked about hearing God in your household and acknowledge that households look very different for different people and at different phases of life. So hearing God in the Word is something that doesn't go away. Hearing God for yourself doesn't go away. Hearing God in your immediate context doesn't go away. And they all build towards something which is just a a fantastic and unique presence on the earth, and that is the church. It's worth saying that that's not always, and maybe not even necessarily today for you, the impression that people have of the church. So when you think of the the word church, it conjures up images immediately. If, you, if you're British, uh, it might conjure up images of particular very ancient buildings and things that uh, are landmarks and protected by certain trusts and uh, are emptied out now on Sundays in favor of going and playing football or something like that. But it has a certain connotation. There's that. There's traditions. It might, it might conjure up ideas of uh, particular practices. So things like Communion, the Lord's Supper, which uh, we'll partake in today as well. Uh, Things like uh, social initiatives, looking out now at the church in society, you see in this country food banks all over the place. You see uh, playgroups, you see things that are, you, you know, synonymous in your mind sometimes with church. What I want to offer today is a vision of church which I think is a biblical one, and it might be one that either arrests your thinking on the matter or resets it, if you've become familiar with uh, this way of thinking. And uh, it's the idea that the church is actually a people, but not just any old people, a people who are a specific called-out community for the hearing of God, a community who form something of a building of their own, and the building in which God's voice reverberates around the walls. And all of this is linked to those previous weeks, how one hears God personally, how one hears God in their immediate context, but now how the voice of God reverberates, echoes, directs a movement of people in a nation and nations and indeed the whole world. So we're going to read from a set of verses in Ephesians 2. Verses 19 to 22, and I'll read those for us right now. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, on first inspection, you might look at those verses and think they're all well and good, maybe a bit confusing if, uh, for the uninitiated. But what do they have to do with hearing? 
What do they have to do with this issue of hearing God? And I'm hoping that will become very clear to us as we go along. But before I go into that, I just want to note in that first verse, in verse 19, an invitation. Now, it's very important when you're listening to something, you realize what kind of burden it puts on you as the listener. What God might be saying out of this text to you in this case. And in this first verse, it has, has something that you might have just passed over, just, oh, the preacher is reading a text, I will let him do that, we'll tolerate it. I want you to attend to this. I want you to pay special attention, all of you, whether you've been in church for a week or for decades and decades. This is important. The Apostle Paul is speaking to a group of believers here. He's not speaking to people in general, just whoever lived in Ephesus. He's writing to the Ephesians, and he's telling them what is true about them by virtue of what God has done to them. And he's saying God has made you into the church. It's not just that you associated yourself and you decided this, this is what we're going to do. We'll get the trust set up and we'll get the legal documents done and that will be us. We're, we're a church of some sort. He's saying God has built something and is building something. And this is what he says in that first verse. He says, so then, because of what God has done, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. That's a weird thing to think, isn't it? Strangers and aliens. He's, the implication is that you were a stranger and an alien. And you think to yourself, well, I don't feel much like an alien. Well, think about alienation. Think about being alienated. Think about being isolated. I think we've all had little tastes of that and sometimes rather larger portions than we would like in our lives. He's saying this is no longer true of these people. He's saying your lot now is not to be estranged, not to be aliens, but... This is the reality. You are these three things, fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. And then he's going to go further and say that more than just a household, you are the house. That can be weird because like citizen, sure, that's all right. That's good. That, that says that you've got rights. Household member, that says to you that you've been welcomed in and you've been made something, something prized, not just some, someone with rights, but someone celebrated and someone uh, established in a family or in a household with God. And it can seem a bit of an anticlimax for him then to move on and start talking about structures. I mean, the, the translation I've got in front of me says structure. It doesn't even say building. And I don't know what you think, but I think structure's rather less romantic than building. Building's not incredibly romantic, I grant you. But it has something of the sense of being built. Structure seems very, uh, very sterile to my mind. What you need to know is behind each of these words is the word for house. So you have, you've been brought in and made part of the household of God. Furthermore, you are the house of God. You're a house. Wow, that talks about life. Houses have life in them, have someone living in them. And in this case, you're going to find that you're being made a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Before I get to any of that, the invitation, that invitation... It's an invitation to three things, and it's an invitation for you here today. It's an invitation for you to purpose, a purpose for your life. And that can be too painful to consider after you've tried various, various purposes for life. You can almost get turned off the idea of it. You just despair of there being an overall purpose to which your life and life in general is orientated. Paul won't allow you to shy away from that here in this text. He's saying, no, there's a purpose. There's something for which you're built, and it's glorious. He's raising your hopes again. He's raising your expectations. So I encourage you with this invitation today. 
let your hopes be raised. Let your expectation for what your little life can mean be raised right up to the heavens, in fact. That's purpose. Second one, belonging. This purpose isn't realized in isolation. It's realized by being brought in and being here, it says, fellow citizens. You've been built together. So it, the vision is of you as a living stone, as a brick being built into this building and being put in place and uh, being, uh, inheriting the purpose for your life along with others. And there's one which you absolutely cannot miss. This is the sine qua non of the whole thing. Salvation, that you need to be saved you need to be brought from something and into something else. When it says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, that is not true of all people. That's true of God's people, the church, right now. So if any of you are in the church, you know that God has done it, that actually he's the one who's brought you in. He's knitted your hearts with other people. He's lifted your eyes to see the great salvation of his son who was given for you, Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. You can say that as well, if you're on this side of the line, so to speak. But I want to say, if you know or you suspect that you're not on that side of the line, today that invitation is for you. As you hear these words spoken, as you hear what it is to have God's voice reverberating around the walls of the real church, which is the people of God, I want you to put yourself in that picture. I don't want you to say to yourself, well, that's for them. This is the church talking to the church about the church. In a sense... This is the church talking to the church, but the church never just talks to the church about the church. The church only has to turn its head and face outside of itself to say to others immediately by implication, this invitation is yours. You can come into this. You can come in. You can come in. Purpose, belonging, salvation, all yours at the cost of Jesus Christ. So let me get into the text. Let's talk about how God does this building. This text, as I say, I've, I've picked out because it gives you that high vision of what the church is. And the church is that hearing community, the ones that hear God. And God has always been in the business of building. And what I want us to attend to is how he builds. What does he use? In another text in the Old Testament, it says, God doesn't live in houses made by hands. He doesn't, he doesn't need people to build houses for him. And uh, in looking around our own town of Brighton, you could be forgiven for thinking that wasn't the case because there's some pretty mighty buildings that you look around and you see, wow, look at that structure. Someone huge must live in there. You know? And I think that that's something of the idea with uh, the traditional churches, that you actually have this vast space which puts people in mind of the greatness of God. Big windows that shine light into them. Preach a message. They tell a message. There's a God out there who is shining his life and light into the midst of his creation. Yeah, that's great. But they're just a picture. The real thing that he builds with is his word. He builds by speaking. I'll give you some evidences of that. If you consider Genesis 1, where it says that uh, the earth was without form and void. It was shapeless and empty. And then what happens? God speaks. He says, let light be, and there is light. And there is light today because he said, let light be, because his word is a sustaining word. When you say something, it might have power. You can have power to build up or tear down with your words. You can say something to someone, and it can stay with them forever. I'm sure people have said things to you 
that for better or worse have stayed with you. But when God speaks, it is both holy and good and permanent. His word sustains everything. And indeed, it says that he sustains all things by the power of his word. Consider that, the atoms in the room that you're in, the atoms in the body that you're in, all held together by the power of his word because he willed it. His will is made known by his speaking. He says the word and it is. And this is the case again in Ezekiel 37, right at the other end of the Old Testament. So Genesis 1, I'm just throwing out a few examples, but you could pick hundreds and hundreds because this is what he does. At the other end of that Old Testament, you have Ezekiel 37. And it's just a little section that I'll read to you. This is uh, about uh, Israel, who are in a state of um, dissolution, of having walked away from God, of having no kind of, uh, no kind of sense of him moving or his power. And this is the prophet Ezekiel, a prophet being one who hears God and speaks to others on behalf of God. He says this, he says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with the skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there wasn't any breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. What I want you to observe in that fantastic story is simply that God could have done all of that on his own. If he can speak and speak things that aren't as though they were, as it says in Romans 4, he can speak things into existence out of nothing, which he does, and that's how the whole, whole earth is created, how the whole cosmos, how all matter exists. If he could do that, then he could certainly raise up dry bones, long dead bones, which were symbolic of uh, the state of Israel. And saying to, saying to them, this is the state that you're in. You're going to be raised up and you're going to be given life and I'm going to come and dwell amongst you. But the way that he does it is the way that he always does it, through his people. He speaks through the church now. He speaks to the prophet in this instance, and the prophet prophesies. He says, you prophet, you go and tell them. You go and do it. Because he wants us incorporated into the work of God, vitally incorporated into the life of God. You see this with the prophet Jonah. Jonah's different because Jonah 
isn't speaking to the people of God. Ezekiel, in this case, is, is given the message to speak to the people of God and to encourage them. Jonah is like the face of the people of God being turned outwards. And this happens still. The church is still supposed to be prophetic in the world. It's supposed to speak out. It's supposed to speak about justice and mercy and the character of God into a world who doesn't necessarily know who he is. And that's what happens with Jonah. And Jonah is uh, very belligerent about this because he knows the character of God really well. He knows that God's really gracious. And God is saying, go to that city of Nineveh, modern day Mosul, and go and say to them, uh, yet 40 days and you'll be destroyed. You'll be completely wiped out. And he runs away. He doesn't want to bring the message. And you find out, as the book goes on, spoiler, uh, that, that the reason that he doesn't want to say it is because he knows so well the character of the one who he's prophesying about. He knows, oh, if I go and tell them, you know, God says you're going to get wiped out. And that is literally all the information he gives them. He doesn't help them at all. He's a, he's a naughty prophet in that respect. And I'm hoping that we will walk in a better way. We should know the character of God like Jonah does, but we should, we should know the compassion of God as a reality, not just as a, an intellectual thing, because he knows that, that God's compassionate. He says, oh, I didn't want to go and tell them because I knew you'd be compassionate. I knew you'd be like you are to us, your special people. I knew you'd be like that to the world, to the people in my street. And the prophet, you're getting a hint now about what the prophetic looks like in its content. It looks compassionate. And so this happens here. And all I want to say on that point is that this is still how he builds. All of that stuff, the Ezekiel stuff, the Genesis stuff, the Jonah stuff, is your stuff, if you're listening here today. It's for you. Even if you feel yourself far away from God, he's made that invitation that I spoke about. He's saying, come in. This can be your inheritance. This hearing of God, this speaking of God can be your life. Huge purpose, huge belonging, huge salvation, yours. So I think I've probably got us to a point where I, I need to speak about how this works, what it looks like. It's worth drawing your attention to a thing that we do called Live Lunch. We have a video that we put out each week uh, that reflects upon the sermon from the week before. And uh, we had a fantastic episode this week. It's available online uh, through our social media outlets. And uh, it's, uh, it's an interview with Christine Lydiard and David Brading, who are some great uh, church members here at Emmanuel, uh, who really just have served us well in breaking down what it's like to hear God, how God might speak in dreams, how God might speak in objects around you, how God will definitely speak to you in his word, and then how you steward that. And I don't want to reiterate too much of what they've said. I'll say a little bit more because I think it's worth hearing again. Uh, but I'd say avail yourself of that teaching. It is gold dust. You're talking about people who have walked with God for many years and have learned stuff in this area and are, and are just urgent to get that imparted to you so that you can see how to do it. Make good use of that. I'm going to read a scripture uh, here which talks about how the building happens. That, let me go back to my original text. That It says of this church, what the real church is, these people, we're built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets. That means that we're built on the foundation of those uh, that Jesus trained and sent, the apostles, and on the prophets, meaning the Old Testament prophets, that God has spoken all the way through that history. We're built on that foundation. We're not built on any other and more significantly, Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. Because Jesus is the center of scripture, 
Being built on scripture means being built on the one to whom scripture points. As Jesus says, you go wrong with the scripture if you don't realize it's all about me. Uh, Furthermore, in whom the whole structure or the whole building, the whole household is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, for anyone who's finding uh, not just structure too, too unromantic, but building too unromantic, I think what's under that is that buildings stay in one place and that they're static and that they, uh, they, they are established and then they just stay there. They do what they do. But not so for this building. I, I don't know if you notice it there. Being joined together, yep, so definitely you're being laid hold of God, by God to be joined together with others for the sake of this thing that he's building. But then this building grows into a holy temple in the laws. And in him you are being built, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God will dwell there by his Spirit, but the building is happening by the Spirit. That there is a Spirit who is building these these blocks together. So it's a dynamic thing. That's That's the big disconnect with this picture. You always have disconnects with any picture of the church. It's spoken of as a body, a family, a bride, here, a building. It's like those in certain ways. This is how it is very unique as a building. It is a building that grows and moves and uh, just operates in ways which you can't predict because it's being built by someone greater and you are being built. You are in, that's, that's where you are at the moment. You're securely in the building of God. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, but you're in a building that is on the move. Which is, so get, get your head around these two concepts. Maybe these verses from 1 Corinthians 14 will help you. This is Paul instructing another church uh, in how they are supposed to operate in collaborating with God in this building project. He says this, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Ah, a key. It says here, the one who speaks in tongues, that's another gift of the Spirit. And it's, it's for the building up of the self, it says here. That relates to our hearing God for yourself from a few weeks ago. That's part of hearing God for yourself. It says that the Spirit intercedes or prays for us with, for groans which are too deep for words. That's a real tool for us. We don't know what to pray. And God gives us the gift of tongues or languages, which can sound a bit spooky on the face of it, but it's really, really normal, natural, and amazingly, amazingly helpful. And being built up in yourself. And you need to be built up. You need to be built up, realize that God is giving you as a gift to the church. Yeah, so good. Work with God in in the, the private place. Now here, he's saying, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He's holding it up as even higher. And then you get at the end there, the reason why it's higher, because the one who prophesies builds up the church, collaborates directly. You know, praying in tongues, yeah, you're going to build yourself up. That's going to do the church good. Directly here, that actually 
hearing the word of God, listening carefully to God, and then speaking it in the right way and in the right situations is building up the church. Now, you have to say that 1 Corinthians 14 is very interesting um, for many reasons. It starts, pursue love. And it's very interesting because it comes after 1 Corinthians 13. You might not think that's very interesting because 1 Corinthians 14 should come after 1 Corinthians 13. But 1 Corinthians 13 is a very famous set of verses. It's actually, uh, you know, even if you're very unfamiliar with the word of God, you will know 1 Corinthians 13 if you've been to a wedding because it talks about, you know, love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't da-da-da-da-da. It goes through all of that stuff. And to me, as a, as a preacher, it's very personally encouraging that so many people want instruction about how to use spiritual gifts at their wedding. Because that's exactly what that chapter is about. It comes in between a chapter about spiritual gifts and it's bookended by a chapter on spiritual gifts. So praise God that so many people are charismatic and wanting the Holy Spirit to come and rule and reign in their marriages. Amen. So that chapter ends by saying, look, there are three things, faith, hope and love. But the greatest one is love. Very poetic. And then the next thing it says is pursue love and desire prophecy. Ah. Right. Now you're getting a bit of linkage to the thing because there is a romance at play and it is the big romance. It's the real marriage. It's Christ and the church. Yeah. And so the Lord pouring out his love into the church looks like this. It looks like prophecy. Have you connected the idea of prophecy and the idea of love in your mind before? Maybe at certain times, but I want that to be our bread and butter. The idea of the love of God poured out and prophecy go hand in hand. It's because he loves the church, because he loves the people in the church, not just abstractly loves the church. He loves the church in its constituent parts. He loves the church in its fullness. And I want to just move us on to three implications, three prophetic attitudes, if you like, that pour out of this 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 4, that we pursue the prophetic in closeness, in humility and in peace. Three prophetic attitudes. In closeness first. And very simply, this is about proximity to God. I've heard it said that when the Holy Spirit is present, it's the love of God being present. That's more than that, obviously. The Holy Spirit, a person, not just a power. Third person of the Trinity. Spirit of Jesus, as it says in Acts 16. This is his other name. The Spirit of Jesus. The one who brings Jesus amongst us and the love of God amongst us. So it's proximity to God. This is illustrated well by Mark 9 and verse 29, which happens a very dramatic uh, scenario where the disciples come to Jesus and they've got this boy who's demonized and he's in a terrible way. He's, he's having fits. He's, um, he's, he's really possessed and they've prayed for him. They've prayed in the name of Jesus and they've prayed, uh, prayed to the Father in heaven that this this boy be delivered, and it doesn't happen. And then Jesus does it, and it does. And he's, he's freed, and he's delivered. And rightly, because they, they're, they're, they said, we said, we said the right stuff. We did, we, did the, we did the thing. We said, name of Jesus. You know, we, we did all the bit. Why didn't it work for us? And it says in Mark 9, 29, he said to them, this kind can't be driven out by anything but prayer. Right. Which is weird because they prayed. Yeah. So there's a question that has to come up. What's he getting at? He must be saying something more than just you need to pray. 
And in later, transla uh, later uh, translations of the scripture, it says this comes out only by prayer and fasting. So you can see people have tried to expound. Oh, it comes from special prayer or something like that. Well, there's something a little bit right about that. But really what, he's, what he wants to impress on them is it comes from proximity. Prayer, not just as an action, but prayer as a bond of love, a relationship that is receiving from God all the time. It's, now, hear it right. It's not... It's never coming from pray harder. When Paul writes to the Galatians, he says, does the one who does miracles amongst you do it by works of the law or by faith? Is it by trying harder and doing things more right or is it by trust and relationship and the prizing of God and his presence? And this is what the Lord is saying here. We prophesy out of love. We prophesy out of love for others for sure, but firstly, it's loving him. It's loving him. You want to prophesy more? Great. It says, it says earnestly desire. Again, a wooden translation for my money, earnestly desire. It's, it's like lust after. It's like go, go crazy in, in the desires of your mind for this, want this. And it can be hard to think, well, why, why do I want to go crazy in the desires of my mind for a spiritual gift, for the prophetic? Because really what's underneath that is going crazy with love for the one who created you, who loved you first, who created you to love him, who created you to be fulfilled in his love. It's saying be ensconced with that relationship and then let it spill out of you. Let it absolutely spill out of you for the benefit of many. Okay? And then be pleased and overjoyed in your own heart at how you're walking into the purpose for which you were built. That's why it says earnestly desire. And that's why it's immovably connected to the love of God. And it's for you. I want to encourage you today. It's for you. You might think, well, I can't drum up that much love for myself. Oh, I can't. Fair enough. Neither can I. Who can do that? Who can do that? Who can make themselves believe more? Who can drum up more faith? But if you will believe me this morning, I'm saying faith is a gift. I'm saying the love of God is a gift. You feel dry. You feel weary. You feel, I would like to have that sort of power. I would like to, like to, like to have that desire. You know, I'm, I'm several steps back from walking into this. I've got good news for you. He is towards us. God is for us, not against us. No matter how far away you are today, he's calling and he's saying this is for you. He's saying, you walk in this, walk in this and find life. I will give you love. I will give you power. I will give you insight and I will be glorified. Second, the prophetic attitude, humility. We do it in closeness. We do it in humility. And surely this is starting to become clear here that really we're not the center of this. We get to be involved in this wonderfully powerful, liberating activity. You could, you could have a word from God for someone that you bring to them and it unlocks years of hurt in their life. And God delivers them and brings them into a process of experiencing his love like never before. You did that, but it blows your mind. And you realize, I did that, but I didn't do that. It's more. It's more than me. I've been 
brought into something which is over and above what I could possibly conjure up or work for. And I want to be diligent in loving the Lord, but really that diligence is just a pleasure. It's actually something which is given to you as a joy, it's for your joy. It's not a spectacle, it's for compassion. And it says there in these verses that I read from 1 Corinthians, uh, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for three things. They're upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Being a lifter of heads, consoling, comforting those who are bereaved and hurt and confused. Yes, that's what the Lord does. That's what the Lord sounds like. You're getting an idea of what the content of a prophecy might be. It's going to be compassionate. Sometimes it's harsh. Sometimes it's, uh, the image of it is harsh. But the heart of it's never harsh. God is, God is not condemning. He's not there saying, there's no chance left for you. You're done. He does warn. He might say something that arrests you in your mind. You're thinking, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to tell them? I'll move on to that in a minute. He'll do that because he loves. And he loves much more than you do. You'll be surprised if you pursue this at how much he loves people that you think he shouldn't be allowed to love. How surprising that he loves people that you don't. And you were so big hearted. He loves beyond the boundaries that we're willing to accept. He goes further. And it's a proper love. It's not just an affirming love that says, I love you as you are and you'll stay as you are. He's not soppy. He's not sentimental about you or anything in the work of his hands. He's a redeemer. He's a restorer. So he'll say, first, you need to know I love you. Second, this might hurt a bit. <laughs> These, that, that happens in your life. That actually, no, he'll prize your fingers off of things that you've idolized things that you've loved in the place of God, things that you've loved and have let you down, and he'll take those hands and put them onto him. Say, I am your all in all. I am your fulfillment. I am the one who will deliver where these idols have not. He'll set things straight, but things being set straight isn't always straightforward, is it? You can consider this if you've broken any bones, that sometimes it doesn't happen overnight that the thing is reset that God actually brings you into a thorough process. And he, he says uh, that he will, he's ruthlessly committed to finishing the work that he started in you. That can be painful to walk through, but encouraging at the same time. It's a very strange paradox, that. So we do it in humility, realizing that we're not the center of it, realizing a bit about this being the content. This delivers us a little bit from the idea of going to the Holy Spirit for a spiritual high, or something like that. I was on the train coming back. If, if anyone's ever spoken to me, you'll know that I am a serial eavesdropper on train journeys. And I, I do, and I will report you in a sermon. It will come out. Uh, so I was, I was coming down from, um, from London and uh, a girl was next to me on the train and she was speaking, speaking on her phone to a friend. And she, uh, she was coming down to Croydon. And I, I overheard her saying, yeah, this has been such a tough week. I feel so worn out. I just really need to get to church for a bless-up. And that was, that was her, her particular expression for it. She needs to go to church for a bless-up. And I thought, that's great. You know, that's, that's what you want. You do. And she will. I, I trust that she'll go to church and she, there'll be a bless-up. There'll be, there'll be the Holy Spirit. Is, 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 he, if he looked at our motives before he came to us, would he ever come to us? 
No, no, not at all. He, work, he works with our selfishness. He works with our silliness. In the same way, if you have a, have a toddler, if, or if you ever end up having a toddler, or look after a toddler, you'll know that you have to work with the desires that are there. And you actually, you can't just say, no, don't want it like that, want it like this. You have to say, right, okay. So you want to go and uh, lick the TV or whatever. You have to, we have to steer that in another direction. It has to have a different outlet. Quite. So that's how the spirit is working here. But I'm not saying that we shouldn't want a blesser. I think we just realize that that's not an end in itself. Actually, God's got more. It's not, it's not like, I'm not trying to disappoint you if you like a spiritual high, if you like to feel the spirit. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? If any, like, this might be a mystery to some people that I'm, I'm speaking to, but for others who have really felt the touch of the Holy Spirit and known the goodness of the realness of God coming and moving you, giving you a word, causing you to pray in power, causing you to uh, like call in favor into your life. That's amazing. It's not the end of the story. It, it, it is blessed to be a blessing, and it always has been. You can see this in Abraham. He says, he says in the covenant with Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You will be blessed to be a blessing. That's my modus operandi. That is the spirit of prophecy. That's the nature of what happens. Blessed to be a blessing. And the church built because of this. So, and again, like, you know, there's a choral ref- phrase that I've heard in various uh, worship settings where people say, you know, position yourself in favor, position yourself to be blessed. That's good. But I want to go further and say, position yourself to bless. Now, that can sound like a work again, can't it? It's like, oh, position yourself to do lots of hard work. No, I want you to work on this basis, that you are, as a Christian, always positioned in favor, always positioned in blessing. He is always towards you. He is always for you. He is always for me. He looks on my life and he says, I love him. He's accepted. He's not merely accepted. He's accepted as a base level. He's prized as a son in the household. He's given the keys to the kingdom. Every spiritual blessing, says the book of Ephesians. That doesn't mean that you don't get every temporal blessing as well. Spiritual blessings exceed the temporal. You get everything. If you have Jesus Christ, you have everything. He is the king. He is the king over all things. And he said, you are in me. You rule and reign. You are seated with me in heavenly places. So you don't have to worry about setting yourself in a position to be under his favor. Like, like I, need to, I need to go a bit to the left or a bit to the right so the favor will drop on me. You are in the favor of God as a gift all the time. Now, what's that gift going to do? Is it going to build a mighty church in the city that you've been placed? Is it going to build a church that speaks life into the midst of a dark and dying world? Is it going to tell, tell them the story that this whole, whole thing isn't going to hell in a handcart, but is being lifted to the heights, is being taken to heaven? That the Lord not only has not finished with the work of his hands, but that he plans to exalt all of it. The prophetic message of the church in word and deed. Even now, we speak about an age to come where every tear will be wiped away. That's the message that we hold out, the love and the eternity of Jesus. So we position ourselves to be a blessing. The third one was that we do it in peace, (laughs) in closeness, in humility, and in peace. 
peace with God. Shalom means peace with God, so that there's peace and harmony brought back into humanity. Now, this might strike you as strange. The prophetic can sometimes seem otherworldly, of course, but can seem urgent, can seem intense. I've got a message from God. I'm going to tell you a message from God. Get ready. It's from God. And it's coming to you. Wow. For, like, for the uninitiated and initiated alike, that's terrifying. It's terrifying. Even for me, I know, I know the character of God. But if someone comes to me in that spirit, in that tone, and says, here it is. You're ready. Oh, you better buckle up because here it comes. And is this, so I just want to ask the question, is that frenetic delivery coherent with the heart that I've been describing? A heart of compassion, a heart of towardsness, a heart of restoration? Might give you pause there. And I've got three T's on uh, how to handle this, how to bring the prophetic in an attitude of peace. Tone, timing, testing. Tone, timing, and testing. The tone, I think I've already gone there, that actually there's a certain way of carrying a word that can, um, that can be intense. It can be, and it is intense. And sometimes God might say things to you when you're thinking, how on earth am I going to convey this properly? Now, be mindful of that compassionate heart, compassionate heart of the Father, especially with hard words. It's easier when it's an encouragement, isn't it? Where it's just straight up consolation that he's coming alongside, he sees you, he loves you, he's lifting you up. When it's a challenge or where you feel, oh, I think that this might open up a bit of a can for this person. And obviously there's a degree of prejudging that goes on there, which needs questioning. But assume that it just is. Assume that God's doing something big and he's, he's unlocking something pretty deep. You need to pray for the peace of God as you do it. You need, to, you need to say, I know what your heart is. I know that you're a God who loves. I want to be your mouthpiece here. That doesn't just involve saying the thing that he's told you in the mode that he's told you. There's a translation thing that's going on. But it also involves embodying how he would say it. So that's a good thing to pray. How would you say this, Lord? How do you want this conveyed? might come in question form. You might have been given a very vivid image in your mind for this person. And you could, you could ask them, does this mean anything to you? Or have you ever thought about, you don't have to come at things head on. There's a peaceful, you don't, that, this, this feeds into the peace thing as well, that you don't have to say it all in one go. Actually, there's a stewarding of the word that's being given and the dignifying of the person who's in front of you. They, they are an image bearer of God. You're, you're not, they're not just um, a post box into which you are, you're saying, here it is. Here's the message. Pew, that's for you. And then you can walk off like, you know, job done. You're, you're ministering as one part of the building to another. Or even outside of the building, you might be ministering to someone who God's calling. You're doing it in his way. So the tone, the timing, there's two, two aspects to this. There's always more that could be said, but I just want to pick these ones. The timing. You can be given a word and you are given judgment over when you bring it and how you bring it. 
And you can fall into traps of thinking, well, the only legitimate way for this to happen would be at the front of a gathered meeting of the church or something like that. That's no, one way that things happen. I wouldn't even say it's the normal or the, you know, the day-to-day -day way of it happening. Because I'm not talking just about church services here. If we're talking about the church as a body, we're talking about seven days a week. We're talking about these things happening all the time. So the timing, yes, there's something on you. There's something about speaking a word at the right time. And again, it's a question. It's, you're saying to God, is it for now? And being peaceful. Do you know what? Like, you, you can think, I missed my chance to bring that. You know, uh, things have moved on. A meeting's moved on or life's moved on or whatever. Oh, the, the, the ship sailed. The ship's never sailed with God. That's, if he's given you something, it's there. It's there. He'll work it over. So that's the, that it lands on you in a certain way. And secondly, that it lands on God, that he might be wanting to bring it forth at a later date. Uh, this happened to my wife uh, uh, New Day several years ago, and we had had a horrible journey driving there. We, um, we, uh, we were driving a Volkswagen camper. Uh, they are the most reliable cars in the world. Surely not. And we, it had broken down. We've got, we've turned up on site on the back of a, a recovery lorry. I'd had a cracking migraine by this point. So we went to the meeting, the evening meeting, and she made sure that she and I stayed right until the end. And there was no one left. And I was like, why are you here? Can we just go? I need the ibuprofen. I need to go to bed. And she said, I've, I've just got a girl's name in my head. And I really felt she would be here. And like literally, there was no one left. There was cleaners going around cleaning. She was like, is your name so? -so? And no, I'm not. Just let me clean. Yeah. So eventually, I convinced her to let us go back. We went, went to bed. The next night, uh, I, I came across a girl who was really uh, manic, and she was, her friends were kind of standing back from her because she was just manifesting in a particular way. And I, just, I took her outside and said, look, I've got, I've got to take her out of this. And she wouldn't stop. Charlie, my wife, came along, and she, she came up to this girl and said, is your name X? And immediately, she snapped out of what she was doing, and Charlie brought a word about, uh, a very personal word, that just absolutely undid a stronghold in the life of this young girl. God's timing, okay? So be peaceful in both those situations. And testing, look, I won't labor this. Testing it means that you test with God. You say, have you got more for me on this? Are you going to guide me more? Maybe he hasn't. Maybe he just wants you to bring what he's given you. Great, so you do that. Testing it with peers and with trusted uh, advisors, people who you know can hear God and will, will work together because it's a body thing. It is the building and the body. I said to myself I wouldn't mix metaphors in this, but I already have. And it's hard not to because of the interconnectedness. I think that's shown well by the body image which you get in the New Testament. And asking the recipients as well, testing with them, does this mean something to you? Does this, does this work? Does it make sense? And sometimes it will be a no. And sometimes they won't want to tell you, fair enough. But, but have the dialogue, a shalom dialogue, a peace dialogue with God and with those around you, bringing the peace of God. So I hope I've given you a little bit of a feel of things there. I just want to close by reading a testimony from uh, a lady who works in the same field as me in um, political theology. And she grew up in a Pentecostal situation where there's a real openness to the spirit. And she just gave this testimony of, uh, she was asked in an interview, what, what happened, uh, is this one thing in your life that happens that totally shaped who you are? I'm sharing this because I want you to see the profundity 
of exercising the prophetic and what it does for people. And she relays this story about when she was 10 years old and a lady in her church brought her a prophecy. She doesn't talk about the content of it, but I want you to attend to the effect that this had on her and therefore on the church. This is what God does all the time. Here's one instance. I remember her speaking to me and thinking, this seems so absolutely bizarre, but also really right. And I had no reason to believe this word she'd given me. And I remember thinking, as if God had spoken to this woman, for her to then speak to me as a child. Like, he's interrupted this grown woman's life to give her something to give to me as a 10-year-old. And it just made me so aware of God's interest in me as a young child. And that has carried me my whole life. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you love us. We thank you that you love to speak. We thank you that here among us today, you're speaking to hearts. You're calling forth faith. You're reminding us of your love. You're saying, this is for you. You're called into the work of God. You're called into the speaking of God. This is your inheritance right now. Come and enjoy, come and revel in the purpose and belonging and salvation which I have for you. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen.